Corinthians chapter 1 again. And uh, I keep that stool handy. Kind of tired this morning. Don't be deceived by, I only have one page of notes today. Um, there's, there's <laughs> don't worry, never fear. I'm sure I will easily fill the 45 minutes of time that we have. So uh, <laughs> between, uh, between the commentary and, and the interaction that I anticipate is going to take place over this passage, um, we're continuing from last week in verses uh, 1 through 11, but uh, I really want to put the, the emphasis and really unpack verses 5, 6, and 7 this week um, because there's a lot more in there that, that we didn't get time to get to last week. And uh, we'll just look at those three verses really quickly. He says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it's for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the blessings that you give us today. I thank you for your word. Um, Lord, it is, it's timely and it's also timeless. And Father, it... Uh, uh, teaches us today how to how to walk in your truth and how to walk according to your will, how to deny ungodliness, um, and to and to live uh, for Christ and to live for righteousness, to be holy. And I thank you for that. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand more today, um, Lord, and that we would allow you to change us through your word. And I thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. So in verse 5, um, it, there's, there's a lot of questions that co- pop up in my mind as I read through this passage. <clears throat> and one of the, one of the questions that I, <clears throat> that's come up in my mind that I know that I've struggled with or I've had to let God deal with me on is the question of, of being in a place where you're certain that, the, that God brought you there for the purpose of either sharing the gospel with someone who doesn't know the truth, um, who's not a follower of Christ, <clears throat> and also the position of being in the presence of other people who are believers or profess to be believers, one or the other. Um, and <clears throat> there's, a, there's a situation where you know that things that are going on are not according to God's plan or c- according to Scripture. And the Lord's laying on you to confront that person. Um, have any of you guys, or am I the only one that's been there and failed? <laughs> uh, I can think of many times where I, I, was, I was sure that God was laying on my heart to share the gospel with someone. And I walked up to them and I went, uh, uh, maybe later. And walked away. And so... Um, there is, when we look at being comforted, there's the reality of the fear that comes 
The question I, I'm going to ask later, um, and you can be thinking about now, is what is it that I really do fear when, when I experience that? What kind of things are going through my mind? What kind of emotions or what kind of struggle? Why is it such a, pr a struggle for me to, to share the gospel with something? The, the best story that you could ever po possibly share with somebody, why do, I, why do I get so nervous? Why do I get so scared and overwhelmed by doing that? And, and I'm convinced that Paul addresses this as we, as we unpack these, these particular verses. But if we go by, first we'll start in Romans 8 and look at verses 14 through 17. There are definitive markers that are, that are mentioned in this particular passage um, that really define a person who is walking with the Lord or, or a true, a genuine Christian. And so we're going to start just with verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Very simple statement. And so I started asking myself, am I led by the Spirit of God? You know, and, and oftentimes I, I, can, I would answer that question in my, you know, in my years is, I want to be. Um, I, I think I am, and, and, and my prayer is, is that I live more like Christ. Um, and so with that in mind, I would, I would respond to that question, yes. So then in verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And so when we read about adoption to sonship, in the Roman and the Greek world, adoption was normal or was a, was a pretty regular thing. It wasn't uncommon. Uh, it happened pretty often. And, and the way that adoption should be, and it is, I think, in most cases, the, the adopted child has privileges to everything that a natural child has. So they're, they're considered, they're basically, they're considered a natural-born child uh, in that family. And so um, when we read through that, the Romans understand that. And so when the adoption to sonship is described, they understand, wow, okay, even I can be like a Jew. Even I can be like the ones that God has called, you know, or, the, or calls him their children. And so he says in, in the next ver or in the next sentence here, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So Jesus Christ is the natural-born Son, and every follower of Christ are adopted into that and are privileged to the same rewards. And so I think Paul, I, I'm convinced that Paul continues to remind us, don't look at your current circumstances. If you're following Christ or doing your best to follow Christ, and you're examining the things that are going on around you and the suffering that's taking place, no matter what kind of suffering it is, if you're examining and looking at that, you're missing the picture of glory. You're missing the focus on the eternal things. 
Um, and so it's helped me to realize that as you read through the sufferings that Jesus went through, which he, Paul describes in, in a number of places, and Peter also describes as well, and we see the, the type of sufferings that Jesus went through, I, I've, I've been just sitting back this past week and going, wow, I've not suffered at all like Jesus suffered. And so um, Paul did the same thing. He took on the same type of suffering that Jesus did when he went to these different towns, when he faced death. And we're, you know, we're going to read in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians 1, just the next few verses. He says, I was convinced that we had received a death sentence when we were in, in Ephesus. It's a good chance that we could have died there. But Paul's focus is so much on the eternal things that he's looking and saying, if there's one more person here that needs to hear that God wants to call to himself and that's going to receive, I need to stay here to make sure that person gets the message. Even if it takes abuse, even if it takes um, physical suffering. How many of you guys are afraid of being physically beaten up for the gospel? Do we face that today? Okay, how many of you, what's that? It's not something that happens here. Yeah. So in some countries, that is true. You get more, okay. So then, so then what does that mean? That's, that's an important aspect of this. So what does that mean for my life today if that happens? Yeah. How does that impact what I do today and what I do tomorrow and the next day? <laughs> well, yeah, you, of course. Okay, so you get your feelings hurt. And, and I'll, that's a good answer, uh, uh, but it's not a good answer. And, and let me explain why. Because if I'm more concerned about my feelings than I am about that person going to hell, then it's backwards. And so I think we miss the, the, the reality is of what Jesus experienced when he came riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. The reality of, I'm going to share the gospel with you and I want you to know Jesus and I want you to follow him. And the reality that if, if that person hurts my feelings and rejects Christ, that the day, and I, like, I love the way Jim put it last week, that there is going to be a flood of tears at the white throne, when we're standing there and we see that person and we're going, that was nothing compared to what they're going to suffer now. And, and the, 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 the just flood of emotion that I think is going to come over us when we realize, wow. Then it puts in perspective, when I get my feelings hurt, it puts in perspective, you know what? If I get my feelings hurt, that's okay. You need to hear the truth. And so Paul is describing to the church in Corinth about those kinds of things. That we thought we were going to die. We thought we were going to suffer. But there were people that did give their life. And so he's focused on the eternal for the ones who did give their life. And he's also focused on the eternal for those who don't choose to give Christ. And he has to, and I'm sure that he has to fight within him to not go, you know what? You're going to get what's coming to you because I don't think that's the way we're going to feel when we stand and we watch as people are judged and we watch as people are condemned to hell as a result of their choice to not follow Christ. 
So look at Philippians 3. Right. He tells in, in Romans, he tells them, I wish I could trade, you know, um, and I wish I could give up my own salvation for you. So Philippians 3. They don't know what what means. That's that's an important point to make because I, I don't think that we'll all ever fully understand. But if we don't have some grasp of it, the question has to come up: Do we really know what? Do we really know if we're saved or not? Right, and so that's important to understand because when we're talking to a stranger, he does describe it to treat them like they don't know, they've never heard, and be loving and kind and gentle and give them the whole truth. And that's the, that's the importance of if I encounter a stranger in Rule King and, uh, and I feel the prompt of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with somebody that I don't know and I walk away and I don't do it, the question has to be asked, do I understand what salvation is? I think so too. <laughs> I think it's much easier to talk to a stranger because if they disagree or they think bad of you or whatever, they walk away and you, you may or you may not ever see them again. But the truth is this, is if you do share the gospel with them, they do that and then later on they walk into this building when we're having service then you can praise God because you know that, you, that they rejected God then, but he did something after that to change their life, and it was all him. And that's the awesome joy uh, that, that Paul describes in a number of his letters as well. So verses 7 through 11 in uh, Philippians 3, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness, excuse me, that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So if you remember, according to Galatians 1, Paul was a religious academic. Okay, he was very knowledgeable in the traditions. He was very knowledgeable in the law. He passionately studied the law. Um, he passionately studied the traditions of the Jewish people and, and aspired, he was aspiring to be a Pharisee. And it's described that he was far beyond anybody of his age uh, in, in his study. And so he was a, um, he was a scholar <clears throat> by desire and by design. Um, <clears throat> I'm not. And I say that because I never desired to study anything except for where to go fishing and where to have fun and, you know, how to get a nicer bike when I was young and, and you know, living for myself even in the early years of our marriage, um, how to have a nicer home and, and to live more comfortably. 
So this message is just as much for me as it is for anybody, um, because we, by nature, we want comfort. But Paul is, uh, is describing that all the knowledge, all the information, the practices that go along with, uh, with what he knows is useless for salvation. And so <clears throat> the transformation that takes place changes, he changes his desire, he changes his passion for study of the law and now has a passion for studying Jesus Christ in, and sharing Christ with, um, with others. And I, and I pictured as he was going through and studying Christ that he learned of the, wom- the woman at the well. And so the, that story came to my mind and, and it comes to my mind quite a bit because as Jesus and the disciples were traveling, if, if you know much about it, and I don't know a whole lot about this, but I know enough that, that the Jewish people would cross over the Jordan and travel down the east side of the Jordan instead of going through Samaria because it was a, it was a hostile place for them to be. And so, I, I don't know, I just kind of picture in my mind the disciples, does he know where he's going? <laughs> you know, as he's walking, as he goes into this town, and they walk up to this well, and, and it doesn't give any details about what the conversation between the disciples and the people in the town were. But I wonder if the disciples are walking into town and this woman passes them by, because this is a well-traveled road. The well that they're at is the place to get water for the whole town. And so I question whether or not they pass each other when they're going into town. And when the disciples get to town... Um, them going in, you know what, let's just get a couple packages of hot dogs and some buns and let's get out of here, okay? Uh, of course, it wasn't a grocery store. I mean, imagine it being more like an open market, you know, that kind of thing. And I wonder if they're walking down the street and half the people in the, in the town are standing there going, uh-uh, don't come to my table, you're Jews. And the ones that do serve them and sell food to them Let's see, you got two packages of hot dogs, two packages of buns, some ketchup and mustard. That'll be $30. What? <laughs> you know, I, and, I, and, I, and like I said, this isn't written in Scripture, but I think, that there is, I think that there's enough tension there that the disciples and Jesus is going there with knowing what he's going to do, what he's gonna, who he's going to talk to, and what's going to happen. Um, Maybe he doesn't already foresee what's going to take place, but what he is doing is he's saying, Father, I know you want me to go here. And so we've learned in Hebrews, uh, I believe it's Hebrews 5, that Jesus learned, ob- learned to be obedient. He, so when he was faced with a, with a choice or a decision, he always obeyed. He always chose to obey with the spiritual, with the eternal in mind. And so when he went to that well and he begins talking to this woman, he shares the gospel with her, and you know how the conversation goes. Um, The woman gets up and leaves to go back into town, okay, to tell everybody there about what happened at the well, and the disciples come back. Lord, eat something. You know, I don't understand. Why are we here? What are we doing here? We need to get out of town. This is not where we belong. And Jesus is sitting there knowing and understanding and the disciples know that it's a hostile place and they stay there and of course they share the gospel and they're there for three days and many people get saved as a result and so when we look at what paul writes in philippians about 
understanding the things that he knows, uh, it takes me back to the verse that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on what you understand. Lean on what the scripture says is true. So when my feelings are hurt about a circumstance, what I need to know is that the truth of the gospel, if I shared it accurately, they're rejecting Jesus. They're not rejecting me. And so Jesus actually tells his disciples that as well. Uh, in the last chapters or the last few chapters leading up to the, um, uh, the Last Supper in John. But uh, <clears throat> in the case of the woman at the well, if I were to, if I were to go to my job, okay, it's kind of nice because now I'm self-employed, uh, so it's a different circumstance, but I haven't forgotten what that was like to go to work and know that there's 10, 15, 20 people around and if I share the gospel with one of them, the reality is, is I most likely am going to be persecuted by someone. And that's an important question. That's an important st- uh, comment to make because the question I have is, am I truly afraid of losing my job or am I afraid of being judged by a lie that somebody else told about me? Right. But I think the reality is, is most of us would probably say I'm not as afraid of losing my job as I am about someone else not being truthful about me. And so the focus becomes about me. And that's where the fear comes in. And so Jesus actually describes and he helps us understand, and Paul does too, um, that it's not how we that having the fear of losing our job, it's how it's lost that we fear the most. If we look at John 7. We fear more of the woe of the prophet and kill each other. What's that? We fear more of the woe of the prophet and kill each other. Because if you lose your job right now, most people think it's the end of the world. And there's a million jobs out there. You know, I, and, and I think that's true for a lot of people. Um, and it depends on what kind of work ethic you have. Because I, I look in and I see there are people that having a job and taking care of your family is very, very important. Uh, it's very high on the priority list. And there's other people that, that are, are in for a free ride. You know, they'll take whatever they can take first and then, okay, if I have to, I'll go get a job and I'll go to work. Um, but Jesus says in uh, John seven fourteen, he's teaching his disciples here. Uh, about judging rightly. He says, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? He asked the question. You're demon-possessed. The crowd answered, who's trying to kill you? Jesus answers, I did one miracle and you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. 
Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. And Jesus, so Jesus is telling them to judge by the moral law. And, and he's also saying that there are things in the law of Moses that you have to look, up, look at subjectively because if it conflicts with God's moral law, you obey God's moral law. And so these people, the Jews that are all standing around going, this guy's off his nut. This guy's crazy. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm probably more afraid of that than the actual being rejected by that person when the gospel is shared, is that it's going to go throughout the crowd and that everybody in town is going to see Dave Mannion as a, as a crazy Bible-thumping lunatic that doesn't know what he's talking about. And Jesus says, don't... <laughs> Stop laughing. That's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> but that's and, and that's why it's easy to talk in this room about those kind of things and it's difficult to go up to somebody that you've worked with for years that knows a little bit about you but doesn't know you well and then all of a sudden introduce this massive change that Jesus is making in your life they would so and, and, and you make a good point so I, I, you stepped yourself in the puddle now. Uh, so I ask you the question, how long have you been professing to be a Christian and how long have you been demonstrating following Christ? So you don't have to answer that, but that's the question that's come to my mind. How long have I professed to be a Christian? Well, since I was seven years old. I, I didn't want to go to hell, so I said the sinner's prayer and I got baptized. And then I grew up and I did this, this and this and this and this and this and this, lived like everybody else in the world. And finally, about 35 years old, I went, I'm not living like this, and God says that I'm not his. Wow. Exactly. Exactly, and that's why I think it's so important that we're sharing the gospel accurately, because I used to do the same thing. I used to, I used to believe that, and I used to present that as the gospel, and so I was presenting it wrong. So... Um, I had, I had something in my head and I forgot it. Yeah. Yeah, he started at creation. Right. Right. Twenty years ago, Ken Ham got up in front of a group of people. This was before, um, before the Creation Museum and the Noah's Ark and all that were built, and and this was they were in the planning stages of all this stuff. And he was talking about how he went to China to evangelize and to to have this this big seminar, and was sharing with them. And there was a there was a translator there, and the translator told him, "Now, when you say God or you use God's name." You have to give us a second because we have to describe to them who God is because they believe in many gods. And so <clears throat> today, how you doing? Good to see you. Come on in. 
Uh, so today, in the world that we live in, when we describe sin to people, we have to ask, we ha most of the time, it's, it's a question of whether or not the people that we're talking to understand and, and, uh, and recognize what sin is the same way that God does. And so I think, you know, for me, it's easy for me to relate back to when I was a child and, and that the general population has a little bit of respect for God. They have a little respect for the church. Today, there is none. Um, and so if you, if you watch the news at all and some of the things that are going on you know, on the college campuses and things like that, um, there's, there's, a, there's a complete separation or a detachment from anything that's holy or anything that's spiritual to the point of uh, sin and righteousness are all relative to your surroundings. And so... That's, that's a difficult place for an old guy like me to, to go in and say, hey, let me share the gospel with you. Sometimes we have to go back to the fall of man and help people understand this is what sin is, and this is how God views sin. So everything that falls in this category means that we fall short and we're separated eternally because of one, one sin in our life. That's all it takes to separate us from God. Yeah. Right. What's the need for Jesus if everybody's good, you know? And so that's, that's a big part of what, uh, what he's describing. And, and what Jesus is describing and Paul is also describing is that if you're accurately sharing the gospel, there's going to be a catastrophic change in every relationship that you have one way or the other. The catastrophic change of complete rejection of the gospel, which means completely rejection of Jesus and everything that's attached to Jesus, or repentance and change for Christ and a, a, um, a drawing into the body of believers and, and, and an acceptance into the promises that are given as well. So, what's that? Yeah. Well, that's, and that's absolutely true. I mean, that statement stands alone, I think. Yeah, I mean, it almost seems like if I don't like this, then you're putting fear into it. Why do they believe me? Yes. No, 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 no. You're, you're saying it exactly right because what, what, and I forget where it's at. I, help me out. Jesus says, or, and Paul tells them that when they didn't know that, they, that it was wrong, it wasn't wrong for them. But now that, they've, now that the light has been exposed... They have a decision to make. And so either A, they're going, thank you for telling me the truth, or they're going, what'd you do that for? <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, you just ruined my day. You're telling me that I'm a bad person, and I don't want to be called a bad person. You look like you're going to say something. <laughs> Right. So Paul is on the Mars Hill in verse 30 of Acts 17. It says that because the scriptures are here, because the gospel has come, he now longer doesn't overlook ignorance. Right. A man can also 
Right. So in that description, you would describe that he loved you so much that he purchased your sins on the cross. Right. Right. So we have made Jesus a religious person. Yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah. And we've lost sight of the fact that all authority has been given. Right. And that includes judgment and wrath and everything. Yeah. He wants no one to be condemned, and he will condemn no one. Right. But then we make him involved in the flesh. We don't teach the other one. Right. Right, so with that being said, and when we go back to Matthew, um, let's look at Matthew 5.11, Jesus is presenting um, Christian or Christ-like living to a group group of people. And uh, in verse 11 and 12, we'll, we'll include 12 in this as well, he said, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the answer to my question earlier about what am I afraid of is is in this verse, when Jesus tells them that they say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I don't like it. I don't want people to lie about me. I, I just, you know, I, I don't like, I don't like being lied to. But I, I'll tell you what, I'm probably one of the biggest liars that ever lived as a child growing up, and uh, you know, and the older I got, and and I say that knowing that I miss, I didn't give the gospel message truthfully, and so I'm I'm <laughs> I'm of the mindset that the devil was really pleased with me because I gave a false or an inaccurate display of the gospel and led people to believe that they were really saved without helping them understand that salvation only comes when we obey what the scripture says. Just simply read it. What it says, that's what we do. And I I looked at my daughter um, a few years ago and I looked at her and I said, the biggest mistake I ever made was to tell you to invite Jesus into your life. And she went, like that, just like dad's falling off his nut. And I said, because that implies that I can continue living this way that I'm living and Jesus comes and joins me in my life. And I said, the way I should have presented it was that repenting of sins and following Christ is I'm going this way. Okay, Lord, I'm stopping right here and I'm stopping. I'm looking at you and saying, you're in charge now. Where do I go? What do I do? And giving 100% of my full focus and attention and giving it to him and doing what he says and not living in the fear. um, Am I doing the right thing today? Am I not doing the right thing today? You know, what's my destiny as far as uh, my life outside of after death, you know, and having that fear, Paul says that fear can be gone if you just obey what God says and do what he says in his word, that the fear is taken away because now you're focused on the eternal and not the temporal. Yes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as serious as it is now, that, that kind of denial. 
versus where now with the young father, I got called away from these guys who are sitting where they want to say what the hell else is going on. I think every parent at some time or another, and even if you're not a parent but you're thinking about having children, probably looks at when they're, when they're getting ready to prepare themselves for that, they realize all of a sudden how many more things still need to change because they go, oh, I don't want my child doing this. <laughs> have you done that too? I know I have. Um, <laughs> I, my son's in the room, so I can't talk too much about him. But my, <laughs> my two boys, I used to catch them in things all the time. And they're like, man, how did you know? Because dad used to do the same thing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, there's things that we, that we catch our children in. Because, why? Because we're all sinners. We've all been in that sinful state before. And, and if we're in a position now where we're going, you know, I still kind of live that way a little bit once in a while. We really need to take a serious examination of our own life and, and ask God, Lord, from your view, from your perspective, what do you see? You might not. Why? Because it'll scare you how? Right. And see, that's the, that's the whole point that I'm trying to, to, to get across here that Paul is making is, is when the gospel message is presented to someone who's not walking with the Lord, one of two things is going to happen. They're going to move closer to him or they're going to move farther away and they're going to say, forget it, I don't want this. And so that's the fear, I think, that we have when we are sharing the gospel is that people are going to move away and either I'm going to suffer immensely more than what I really originally thought because it can go from person to person to person and now it's in the whole town, you know, and they're all talking and they're saying that, that the people in Christ Church are liars and this and that and they're falsely accusing because they're standing against sin or they move closer and all of a sudden revival breaks out and just and wow so Paul when he's in Ephesus he's going through these very things to the point where he thinks they're going to kill him they're ready to kill him and his friends are going you know what stay out of there don't go in the courthouse because <laughs> we can't protect you in there and so these kinds of things are going on. I mean, and there's serious uh, things that are taking place. So if we look at John 15, in John 15, verses 18 through 25, Jesus is at, this is at the Last Supper again, and he's teaching his disciples that if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you will not belong, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and this is why the world hates you. So I'm going to stop right there for just a second. This is where there's a lot of um, controversy in churches today. Because they want to keep a good relationship with the people in the community to the point where they can say, well, I need to maintain this relationship so that we can share the gospel with them. Red flag. That means you're not sharing the gospel now because if you were, <laughs> one of two things were happening. One of two things, I mean, if it continues on and on and on. I'm not talking about if, you know, talking about a one-time circumstance. 
you know, but, and, and he does command us to be kind and to be loving and to be generous and to, um, to reach out to people. But again, the reality comes back to Jesus is saying that if you share the gospel, with, there's going to be people that hate you. Sometimes. Right, right. And so, I forget, I, I can't think of how to, how to put what's in my head. Sorry. That is very much, that is very much where the, the North American church is today. And it's full of people that Satan says, I gotcha. You're good. You think you're going to heaven. You believe that you are. You reject bits and pieces of the truth. It's a buffet. The Bible is a buffet to you. You pick and choose what you want to believe out of it and what you want to obey, and you leave the things that you don't want. And, and that is the perfect place for Satan to have a, a religious person. And so that's, that's difficult because at the same time, you know, back in first or Second Corinthians 1, when Paul is describing these things, you know, I, I mentioned what do we fear in sharing the gospel. There's also a fear in church brothers and sisters and the one another part of a body of believers because when I see Larry doing something that might be questionable according to the scripture, who wants to be the first person to go to somebody else and say, hey, um, I don't think you're quite walking the way God intended in this area of your life. <laughs> That's even a... <laughs> Yeah, but how many how many people want to be that guy or that girl? How many? Yeah, you know, um, because you have to be constantly like Jesus describes, taking the plank out of your own eye. First of all, so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, you need to be walking pure and holy as as best as you know how to do according to the scripture to be in that situation. So some people will sit back and coast because, well, I don't want to know too much about the scripture because then I'm responsible to help everybody else and I don't want to be that guy because he's hated by everybody. Uh, and Jesus is telling his disciples, you will be hated by everybody. You'll be hated by the world. And some, even in your own body of believers, as described by Paul, when Paul in 2 Corinthians, again, a little farther into the chapter, which we'll get into next week, is being looked at and he's being hated by people who don't like him because they're ex he's exposing the truth and they're false teachers and he's making waves on their teaching. He's encroaching on their lives. And so that's, and I think that's where the fear comes from when we share the gospel is, is that that kind of uh, disruption is going to take place. So continuing on in John 15, um, We'll start in verse 20. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And they will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. 
but this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. And so if we, if we uh, go to 1 Peter, yeah. The depraved mind? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I know what you're asking. I understand that. Yeah. Right. 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 We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so the depraved mind doesn't come until after you back up a couple of verses where he says in verse 28, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so then God gave them over to a depraved mind. So in other words, there was an exposure to the truth. They listened, they heard it with their ears, and they went, no, that's not for me. I think I'll, I think I'll keep living this way. And then they want to continue. Yeah, and then they want to continue in that to the point where they get to, they get to the place where, where we are today in, in most of the world, that sin is relative. Uh, righteousness is relative. You know, it's, it's however you... How, whatever you perceive to be truth and, and whatever you perceive to be right, um, that God turns them over to that type of a mind where it, it's going to get to a point where he takes his hand away and withdraws because they've completely rejected him. And I, I heard it described like this. Jesus is a gentleman. If you don't want him, he'll, he'll, he'll offer. And if you still don't, if you, you keep rejecting, keep rejecting, keep rejecting. Okay. I've given you everything that you need and I've given you everything possible that you could know and understand how, how much I love you and how deep sin takes a person and you still reject. I can't do any more. Refuse to love the truth. Right. So um, just real quickly, one more passage of uh, scripture in First Peter 4, Peter describes two kinds of suffering 
in uh, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. And the, one of them is the kind of suffering that comes as a result of doing good. And then there's the kind of suffering that comes from doing evil. Uh, and so, oh, that's Timothy. That's not where I need to be. So if we look at verses 12 through 19, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Okay, he's, he's repeating the beatitude in Matthew 5.11. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So in other words, if your suffering is because you're just obeying what God says to do, rejoice in that. Praise God for that and keep the focus on the eternal that is going to come, the promises that come. But if you're suffering because you blew it somehow, let God use that to change you. Um, and, and don't look at that as, as, you know, oh man, I'm going through a trial right now and, and God's just allowing this to happen to me and I, I'm not really sure why, but he's got a purpose. Yeah, the purpose is repentance. Plain and simple. Um, if we get involved in sin, God says, okay, you've broken fellowship with me. I, I can't protect you. I'm not, uh, you, you're going to suffer the consequences of your sin and I'm here when you're ready to repent. And I'm here when you're ready to start following me again. So anyway, um, the question I asked last week, do you want to be comfortable or do you want to be comforted? Comforted means ready to stand up for the gospel message and take whatever persecution may come as a result, knowing that the end result, even if it means death on earth, the end result is reward in heaven for that. So thank you for your attention. Sorry, I tried to rush through that. Um, a lot of information. Thank you for your attention.